peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, the parable of the sower uh, may not be uh, the most uh, popular or well-known of uh, Jesus' parables, at least compared to uh, ones like the prodigal son or the good Samaritan, uh, for example. But it is up there. It's in the top tier, at least, as Jesus employs this long-standing rabbinic a tradition of storytelling as a way of engaging his congregation and teaching them uh, the faith. And while the context for this particular parable is uh, first century uh, Middle Eastern agriculture, with which we may not be very familiar, it's still a story that we can all relate to, not to mention the fact that Jesus actually interprets it for us in Matthew chapter uh, 13 and reminds us uh, that the sower in the story is God, uh, the seed is God's word. And the four soils represent four different kinds of people, or at least four different kinds of reactions uh, to God's word in our lives, all of which all of us are certainly capable. And so uh, the typical sermon on the parable of the sower, which I've probably preached a dozen times by now, uh, will often simply retell the story and introduce uh, some real-life examples of real people, modern day situations and circumstances that are represented in uh, those four categories of soil, you know, like the person uh, who you know, uh, who is just totally closed and uh, not responsive uh, to God's word and its uh, life-changing, transforming power in their lives, like the seed of the hard path, uh, the soil that has been beaten down and uh, walked on. Or the person uh, that you may know whose uh, faith is good as long as life is good. Uh, But when things get rocky, uh, they begin to feel a little fried, scorched, and they they fall away. This is not a person whose heart is hardened. This is a person whose heart is, is shallow. And the hard times reveal kind of the shallowness of their faith. And the fact that their roots haven't grown very deep. Or, or the, they're the thorns that choke our spiritual growth. Uh, the thorns representing the, the physical attractions, the material temptations of this uh, world that uh, choke out the only kind of life that's really worth living and the only thing that's ever going to satisfy your soul at the end of the day. And then, of course, there's that good soil. That's the, the person who is just open and receptive Uh, to the introduction of God's word and the transforming power in their lives. And uh, they produce what Jesus refers to as a a yield of uh, 30, 60, or even 100%, 100 100-fold. And like you, you know, I can think of real people in my life who I know right now, today, who fall into all those categories, each one of them. As I also think about times in my own life when I have also fallen into each one of those categories, which then leads us uh, to the question that you can almost hear coming off in the distance, and that is, well, what kind of soil are you today? You know, where have you been hardened to the message of Jesus, or, or maybe you've been hardened just to some certain specific parts of the message of Jesus because, you know, you, you just don't really want to deal with it, or because it would challenge you or force you uh, to change an opinion that you have or position that you take or some aspect of the way that you live your life. 
When have the hard times and the rocky places of your life revealed the shallowness of your faith and caused you to realize that your roots really need to grow much, much deeper? What are the thorns in your life, the attractions and the temptations that, that choke you out of your spiritual growth? Jesus mentions one of them, uh, which is money and uh, material uh, possessions, but there are many thousands of others that uh, you can consider. And and those are all very good, very thoughtful, very challenging uh, questions, even growth-producing questions that we ask. And they become the basis for things like the hymn we just sang, Lord, let my heart be good soil, open to the seed of your word. But they also point us to uh, one of the great paradoxes of the Christian faith, of being a follower of Jesus. Namely, that the word of God and all it represents has the power to completely change and transform your life. But it can also be resisted. That we are saved by grace alone and that there's nothing you can ever do to earn it. Otherwise, it wouldn't be grace, would it? And yet, you can reject it. You can be resistant to it. You can repel it. You can allow your agenda, your attachment to the things and attractions and the temptations of this life to to choke it out of your life. You can do all of those things. And so, uh, yeah, for the umpteenth time, I would invite you to consider the parable of the sower. And what, if anything, you need to do about it what it is that you need to cut out of your life in order to grow up in the word of God. But I also have to warn you that if you take this story seriously and you don't just blow it off, you know, it's not going to be easy because it will require something to change in your life. It will require you to wrestle not just with the paradox I mentioned, but with so many other paradoxes that come in this word of God when it's planted in you and it grows in you. Like the fact that God's word requires us to call a sin a sin and then says, do not judge or you will be judged. It requires us to take the speck out of our neighbor's eye, but to first take the log out of our own eye. Because here's the thing. I love to select and pick and choose the sins that I want to call out in this world. While very quietly ignoring the ones of which I happen to be personally guilty. Not that any of you do that. But the fact of the matter is that we're all sinners. We all sin every day, although we you know, might see and sin differently from one another. And then there are all kinds of other paradoxes uh, with which we have to wrestle when the seed grows in the good soil of our hearts. Like the fact that in the kingdom of God, the way up is to go down. And to be rich is to give your money away. And to be powerful is to serve so that when the seed of this word grows deeply in your life, a lot, a lot of things are going to change and everything's totally upside down. But that's the message of the kingdom. 
And then there's another uh, question uh, that has haunted me as I consider this, you know, kind of first tier uh, parable or story of Jesus. And that question is, you know, if the sower already knows that the seed will not penetrate the hard path, if the sower already knows that it's not going to last long, you know, in the shallow rocky ground or among the thorns, then why does the sower bother to scatter the seed on those soils at all? Why would he inefficiently waste 75% of the effort on the 25% that represents the good soil? I mean, what's Jesus saying here? What's going on here? And the answer to that question is, you know, as I ponder that, comes to me in at least two parts, and both of them have to do with the context of this parable, with first century Middle Eastern farming. And the first part has to do with the fact that when Jesus in Matthew 13 talks about sowing or scattering seed, the method of uh, planting seeds at that time and in that context is known to us today as broadcasting or broadcast seeding, which involves taking a fistful of seed and just throwing it out, kind of lavishly, indiscriminately, unpredictably on a larger area. See, today in our farming methodology, we have what's known as precision seeding, where seeds are planted in a very specific place, at a very particular depth, at well-defined intervals. We also have something like hydro seeding, where the the seeds and the mulch and the water are all mixed together, and and they're placed like a layer over a large area. Broadcasting is none of that. Broadcasting is messy. It's inefficient. It's unpredictable. Some of it even goes to waste, like it does on the hard path, which probably is a reference to walking paths that people would make through large fields to get from one part of the farm uh, to the other. But the other part of the answer for me is the part that really illuminates this whole thing for me, pulls the whole thing uh, together. And it has to do with the fact uh, that in our modern concept of uh, farming and planting seeds, which is often, you know, very 21st century sophisticated, and, you know, they got computers now and GPS and lasers and all kinds of stuff. The field is plowed. Uh, The soil is prepared. It is tested. It is treated. There are chemicals. There's analysis. And then when everything is absolutely, exactly, perfectly right, then the seed is planted and the crops grow. First century Middle Eastern agriculture and farming was exactly the opposite. Which is to say that the first thing they did was scatter the seed. And then they plowed it in. Then they worked it into the soil, which includes the good soil, but also the rocks and hard places, the thorns, and the difficult beaten down path, all of it. What does that say to me and to you today? Well, I think it says that we have a God 
who wants to get his word through to all of us. We have a God who is willing to meet all of us wherever you happen to be in, whatever shape your spiritual life happens to be in at any given particular day or moment. We have a God who does not require you to get everything perfectly, exactly right so that then he can bless you with his grace. We got a God who is willing to lavishly, recklessly, shower this world with his life-giving words and promises in all kinds of places, to all kinds of people, in all kinds of situations. We have a God whose love is indiscriminate. It is reckless. And by the way, uh, there's one other thing about this parable that I haven't shared with you, and that is that when Jesus says that when this seed uh, grows deeply and uh, it begins to uh, transform the soil and it begins to bear the fruit or the product uh, for which it was made, uh, there is liable to be a yield of 30, 60, or even 100 fold. Now, I think, you know, you probably get the point that he's trying to make there. But those numbers would have been absolutely mind-boggling to the people that he was talking to on the beach that day. Because in first century Middle Eastern farming, the typical yield of a field was like fourfold, or maybe five. Not 30, not 60, certainly not 100. What does that tell you? It tells you that when God's word is growing in the soil of your heart and in your life, you don't know what can happen. You have no idea how far it's liable to go. And so the question today is not just what kind of soil are you? It's also what kind of church are we going to be? We're going to be the kind of church that requires our sisters and brothers out there to get everything perfectly, exactly right so that then we can bless them with our ministry? Or are we going to meet them where they are? and scatter that seed first, and then work with them. So that by God's grace, if you'll pardon the expression, they can get plowed with the Holy Spirit of the living God through his son, Jesus Christ. I want to close today with uh, one of those real-life testimonies of a real person in a real situation that uh, defined herself as one of those whose heart was hardened, not receptive, not open, but for whom God would not give up. Her name is Rosalind. Some people call her Roz. And she writes this, when I was a straight-A student in grade school, I believed smart people didn't need religion. As a result, I declared myself an atheist and dismiss people who believed in God as, uh, as uneducated ignoramuses. As I grew up, I began babysitting to earn money, and uh, one of my favorite couples included a doctor and his wife, who were really sharp. One night after paying me, they invited me to church. I was stunned. People this smart actually go to church? When Sunday morning came around, I told them I had a stomach ache. 
They invited me again, but once more I came up with another phantom illness. Eventually they tried another track. Have you ever read the Bible, they asked. Well, I figured that if I wanted to be an educated person, I needed to read the best-selling book of all time. But when I opened it, I expected to find phony miracles, made-up creatures, and a sort of gobbledygook. To my surprise, it was full of wisdom and power. And I had to pause while reading just to think. While I never heard actual voices or anything to justify the summoning of a neurologist, I found this strange sense of being spoken to. Still, I wanted to get past this religion phase because I didn't want religion. And yet part of me was increasingly eager to spend time with the God of the Bible. Then during my freshman year in college, I reconnected with a friend who was also a straight-A student and a handsome star athlete. He helped me with my physics work, and then he invited me to his church. This time I felt fine. (laughs) From there, I came to a deeper understanding of what it meant to have a relationship with God through faith in Jesus. And my world dramatically changed as if a flat black and white existence suddenly turned full color and three-dimensional all at once. I felt joy and freedom and responsibility and challenge. Today, in my professional life, I have incredible colleagues who have helped translate my lab research into difference-making products, including a smartwatch that helps caregivers save the lives of people with epilepsy, and I work closely with people whose lives are filled with medical struggles. I do not have adequate answers to explain all their suffering, but I do know there is a God of unfathomable greatness and love who freely enters into relationship with all who call upon his name. I once thought I was too smart to believe in God, and I snubbed the greatest mind in the cosmos, the author of all science, mathematics, art, and everything else there is to know. Today, I walk with joy, having received the most undeserved grace, alongside the most amazing companion anyone could ever ask for. Dr. Rosalind Picard is a professor at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, founder and director of the Effective Computing Research Group at MIT, founder of two companies, follower of Jesus Christ student growing in his word. As always, I thank God uh, for all the good soil around me here, and I pray that uh, today's engaging story of Jesus will uh, help you uh, to be receptive, open, stay loose, whack the weeds, navigate through the hard times, grow up in his grace, work with the people around you so that their lives would be transformed by the word that's a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, and join in the glorious, exhilarating experience of broadcasting the greatest message of all and the greatest cause the world will ever know. God bless you and give you a great week in the Lord.
Amen.